0: Good day ladies and gentlemen welcome to live with Doug we are thinking through God's word together on this beautiful April 3rd year of our Lord Jesus 2023 and uh, so I did the uh, the thing you're not supposed to do when you're doing like a live broadcast I started messing with my displays a little bit <laughs> and I think I think by um, uh, I think it's all going to be a mess. The Bible program. So anyway, this could be an adventure. I'll try not to mess you up too much. Anyway, regardless of what I'm doing, right or wrong, the word of God is faithful and true. (laughs) So you might want to pull out your own Bible here. I don't know if I can get this up or not. Good morning, everybody. (laughs) All right, let's check up on your comments here. Rob says good afternoon because he's in England. But the rest of us, it's still coffee time. Must be tea time for you, Rob. Good morning, uh, Juan and uh, Lewis says he likes the uh, new starting time. Good. Glad you could uh, join us as well. Keith, good morning. Uh, Juan says he's a bit of an Anglophile. All right, you guys can have your conversation. Excellent. All right, good morning, C.M. So we are in uh, Hebrews chapter 7, and we've just encountered this unique character named Melchizedek. Actually, that's not true, is it? We encountered him... Back in chapter 5, and then you recall the writer, he, he mentions Melchizedek, and then he says, look, I want to tell you more about this guy, but you have become dull of hearing. And he works through his uh, his hard saying there about uh, walking away from the faith, and if you've tasted all this, you it's impossible to bring him back to repentance. But he says, we're convinced of better things for you because you have shown your love for the Lord and your love for the saints. And the Lord is not unjust so as to forgive those things. So we believe that you are that that ground that has drunk the rain and is going to bear fruit. But we're speaking this way in particular and talks about the anchor for our soul. God made a promise to Abraham and he swore by himself that he would fulfill that promise to Abraham. And that is an anchor for our soul. And then he brings it back uh, in, a, in a wonderful pastoral Way to Melchizedek, let me put up the Bible and see what it looks like. Okay, actually, that could be worse. That's not so bad, is it? All right, good. So let's carry on. So he says, this hope, God's promise to Abraham, God's uh, swearing by himself, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul. And we talked about how wonderful that is. Uh, Can you all see that? You're not supposed to be able to see that. I'm still figuring all this out. All right. Uh, we have this anchor of our soul, a sure and steadfast one, which enters into the veil. Jesus entered within the veil where Jesus went as a forerunner, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And there he brings it back around to this to this strange figure. All right. So notice what he calls Melchizedek here. He calls him King of Salem priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. So we looked at this. We went back to Genesis 14, where Melchizedek just shows up out of nowhere, and Abraham, having coming coming back from a great victory, Abraham appears and pays tithes to this figure called Melchizedek. And here we are told he is the king of Salem. All right, now put your thinking caps on for a minute. What city is a very popular, important city in the scripture that has the word Salem in it? You know this, I bet. This is not that hard. What is the great city of old, and actually it's a great city of new, in a sense, isn't it, that has the word Salem in it? Yeah, Juan got it. Jeru, Salem. Now, the Bible doesn't actually say that this Salem is Jerusalem, but if I had to place a bet, if I had to put money on it. I would bet that this Melchizedek is the king of Salem and that this place, Salem, becomes Jerusalem. Uh, Caitlin O'Neill says, today's Jerusalem is Satan's counterfeit. Uh, What do you mean by that? That's that's an interesting statement. What do you mean by that? So the other thing of note here is that Salem is from the uh, well it's a transliteration of the Hebrew word shalom what does shalom mean if you are to greet someone if you sorry if you were to greet someone with the uh, word shalom and if you see this word throughout the uh, the old testament what does it mean what's shalom i'm sure you all know this as well it's the word for peace yeah rob got it see him got it peace and peace in the Hebrew mind means more than simply the absence of war or conflict. Now, it does mean that, and, and that's what we tend to think of. Instead of war, we want peace. But it became this word of great blessing, God's blessing, kind of like the ironic blessing in chapter 6 of Numbers, right? Uh, the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and give you shalom, peace. And all those parallelisms there indicate this is the, the whole blessing. And so, peace becomes this word, which means whole life blessing. It's uh, God's fortune and favor upon you, making his face shine upon you, all of that. So, Melchizedek is the king of Salem, the king of Shalom, the king of peace and blessing. All right, so let's get back to... Hebrews then. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, he's a priest of the Most High God. Remember, we looked at that. Interesting. This is far before the Levitical priesthood is established. This is 400 years plus before the Exodus and the institution of the nation of Israel and the Levitical priesthood and all that. So here's this priest. We don't know really anything about his priestly order. We don't know when he became a priest. We don't know how he became a priest. We don't know what his priestly duties were. But he's a priest of the Most High God. He appears out of nowhere in Genesis. And Abraham meets him after this great batter after the slaughter of kings and blessed him. And Abraham, we are told here, apportions a tenth of all the spoils to this Melchizedek. Now I had a chart that was to <laughs> diagram this for you, and I, uh, that's what got me into trouble earlier because I was on the wrong screen. So maybe I'll get that ready for you tomorrow. But I think you can understand this. This gets a little, this gets a little uh, tricky here, but I, I'm sure you can follow along. So Abraham tithed to this Melchizedek. And now the writer of Hebrews gives us more information about this Melchizedek. He says, by the translation of his name, he's the king of righteousness. So this Melchizedek, Zedek, see the Z-E-D-E-K part of the word? That is the Hebrew word for righteous or righteousness. Melki is the Hebrew word or one of the Hebrew words for king. You th- you know the uh, the false god false king uh, Melech, comes from this word as well. So king or Melchizedek, king of righteousness, is what the the name itself means, and that's what the writer of Hebrews is drawing from by the translation of his name Mel Melchizedek, king of righteousness. That's who he is. But then also since he's the king of Salem Shalom, he's the king of peace. Now. Right there is why some people think this is a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, or what we call a Christophany. Someone might have been Rob; I forget who. Someone last week, uh, when we were talking about this, threw this out that this Melchizedek is a Christophany, a manifestation of Christ prior to his incarnation when he was born to the Virgin Mary, and it's this these titles at least are part, in part, of, of what causes some of us to think that. All right? who is the king of righteousness? Jesus. <laughs> Who's the king of peace? Jesus. And this Melchizedek, by virtue of his name and the city over which he is king, king of righteousness, king of uh, peace, it sure sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? And then you add to it this next line. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he remains a priest perpetually. And everyone says, that's Jesus. Not everyone. Some people say that's Jesus. And it makes sense. But I don't think so. (laughs) This is not something worth arguing about. But there there are enough things in here that give me pause to say I, I, I don't think it adds up. Number one, it says here, without father, without mother. Was Jesus without mother and without father? Well, from one perspective, you say, okay, he was without an earthly father because Joseph was not his his biological or genetic father, right? Jesus was conceived before Joseph and Mary had sexual relations, so Joseph was not actually Jesus' father. Okay. Was Jesus without mother? Well, on the divine side, he has a heavenly divine father, but he doesn't actually have a mother in terms of his divinity. So that's possible. But the question is, is the text saying here that Melchizedek didn't have a mother or a father? If it is saying that, that's, that's what it says, right? Without father or without mother. And is the intent of this to mean that he had no human parents? If so... It does break down, it seems to me, because Jesus did have a human mother. Now, of course, his divine nature had neither father nor mother. But his divine nature has a father and his human nature has a mother. So to me, this doesn't quite add up. And here's the other thing. Without genealogy, Jesus, of course, has a genealogy. Melchizedek does not have genealogy, but does that mean he doesn't have parents at all? Or, and this is what makes most sense to me. And again, this is not something to argue over, but it makes sense to me. I think what the author of Hebrews is doing is he's setting up the order of Melchizedek and Melchizedek certainly as a type of Christ and he's saying in the scripture in the story this guy comes out of nowhere there's no record of his who his father is no record of who his mother is and there's no genealogy all of the other prominent people in the Old Testament have a genealogy Melchizedek doesn't he just shows up out of nowhere In the scripture, he doesn't have a beginning of days nor an end of life. And he remains a priest perpetually in the storyline. And I think what the writer is doing is grabbing the fact that we don't have any other information that he, he, as far as the story goes, can be a priest forever. And using that to compare Jesus' priestly ministry. And it's this word like that seals the deal for me. Says he's made like the Son of God, rather than he is the Son of God. Now you may want to argue with me and say, "No, no, I think he's literally saying there's no father, no mother, no genealogy, no beginning of days, no end of life. Therefore, this has to be Jesus." And and that again, I get that. And a lot of uh, Bible believing people over the years have have seen that. It I doesn't make sense to me. Remember, we looked at Psalm 110 last week. It doesn't make sense to me that he would say to the Messiah, You are a priest forever according to your own order. So, more likely to me, this man Melchizedek stood before Abraham, before Moses, before Levi as a picture, a type of Jesus, so that he can compare Jesus' priesthood to Levi's priesthood, and say, this priesthood is better than Levi's because Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek, we'll look at that here in a second, and Melchizedek's priesthood goes forever because there's no stop to it in the scripture, and Jesus's priesthood is like that. Now, for some of you, that all may be very, very confusing. Some of you are following me, and others may be in between. That's what makes most sense to me. All right, let me uh, let me grab a couple of your comments here. Rob says, "Would it be fair to say that it is a prefigurement of Christ in this in a, in same sense? Uh, our death in Christ is like His, but not the same." Hmm, maybe. Uh hmm. Yeah, I, I again maybe. I'm just saying it what makes most sense to me is this is not a prefigure of Christ, but this is a real man that we can meet someday who was a real priest, who is human, but the scriptural description of him is a simile, a metaphor maybe, uh, for Christ. His priesthood is a metaphor for Christ's priesthood, which I don't think is quite the same thing that you're saying. CM says, isn't it true that at that time frame of Abraham, the word had no father or mother or genealogy? I know that still presents a problem with the eternal sonship of, of Christ. Um, yeah, and that raises you know, a theological question that gets all kinds of uh, feedback. Um maybe but maybe uh the well the word that is the second person of the trinity as we call him the in john one the word who became flesh that's god so the divine nature of course has no uh father or mother or genealogy he exists eternally except he does have a divine father so you see the problem see him if the writer of hebrews is trying to say he has no earthly father or mother that doesn't work because jesus does have an earthly mother and if he's saying he has no spiritual father or mother that doesn't work either because jesus does have a or the word of god the second person trinity does have a, a a father, God, the father. So anyway, this is hard. And again, it's not worth fighting over and debating over. This very well, Melchizedek could be a pre-incarnate appearance of the second person of the Trinity. And that he appears in human form, but he's not been born yet. Obviously that happens with Mary and that Abraham pays ties to him. That's That's certainly possible. And I admit the language wants us to go there, in some ways, but it seems like it. Now that we know the full story, it comes short. Yeah, uh, Rob says the word like. In my opinion, that's uh, that's that's the key. He's like the Son of Man. CM says I'm going to push back with some classic Doug Gooden. The Bible is all about Jesus. I agree. I agree. And that's uh, either way, it's about Jesus. I still think it's about Jesus. Melchizedek's priestly order, which God established prior to the Levitical priesthood, is superior to Levi's priesthood. And Jesus is of the priestly order of Melchizedek. So, absolutely, it's about Jesus. The question is, how is it about Jesus? I don't think it's because Melchizedek is Jesus, but because he sets up the priesthood of Jesus. So without father, without mother, he's like the son of God. He remains a priest forever. So Melchizedek's priesthood in the scripture doesn't end. Jesus is a priest in his priestly order. Uh, yeah, I don't want to get down into all this just yet. And so Jesus's priesthood can exist forever because he's of, of the order of Melchizedek. So Let's set that debate aside for now. Um, what is certainly true, what is clear in the text is the writer here is setting up Jesus's priesthood to be superior to Levi's. Right? That matters. Because as he's been arguing all the way along, remember, these these are people who are tempted to go back to Judaism. And he's been arguing all along how Jesus is superior to everything in the old covenant. He's superior to the law that was given through angels. So his law, his covenant is better. He is superior to Moses. Moses was just a servant in the house, but Jesus, the son, built the house. He designed it, all of that. He's superior, his rest is superior to the Sabbath rest of the Old Covenant. And now he's going to hone in on the priesthood. And Jesus has a priestly order, or is of a priestly order, that is superior to Levite. So when these people are tempted to go back to the Old Covenant ways, The writer is saying, don't do that. You are giving up the priest who's of Melchizedek to whom Levi paid a tithe. And we pay tithes to those who are superior. That's what he says here. Abraham apportioned a tenth of all the spoils to Melchizedek. Now observe how great this man, Melchizedek, was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of his choice of spoils, And those indeed of the sons of Levi who received the priest's commandment have in the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brethren, although all are descended from Abraham. But the one whose genealogy is not traced from them collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises. Without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. In this case, mortal men receive tithes, but in the case of one... So this this is hard. There's a lot of words here. But the point he's making is, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Levi, right? That's the order. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Levi was the son of Jacob. Levi is the priestly order. Melchizedek pays tithes. I'm sorry, Abraham pays tithes to Melchizedek. Levi, who is still in the loins of Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham, through Abraham, pays tithes to Melchizedek. We pay tithes to the one who is greater. Therefore, Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek. That proves that Melchizedek is greater than Levi. And Jesus is a greater priest because he's in the order of Levi of Melchizedek and not of Levi. Does that make sense? If you read it with that in mind, this is not that hard, but there's a lot of words here and, and it gets confusing in the language. But the point is, Levi was in a sense... In Abraham, that's what he says right here, and so to speak, though through Abraham, even Levi, who received tithes. So Levi, the priesthood of Levi, received tithes from all the brothers of of Israel. So Levi was superior, the, the priests were superior to the others in the sense that they received tithes, right? You pay tithes to the ones greater than you. Levi, so to speak, who received tithes, paid tithes to Melchizedek, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Now, again, obviously that's not quite true in the sense that there's three generations between Abraham and Levi. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Levi. So is Levi in the loins of Abraham? No, but as the story plays out, as the story unfolds, he's saying, so to speak, Levi paid ties to Melchizedek through Abraham. That's why I think this whole section here is a so-to-speak section. Melchizedek didn't have father mothers, mother, so to speak. He didn't have genealogy, so to speak. He had no beginning or end, so to speak, in the story but it was setting up the superior priesthood of Jesus. Now, again, you can argue with me, and that's fine. I, it's not worth arguing about it. It may be that this is a pre-incarnate Christ. It just doesn't seem as likely based on the, the language used here with the, the so-to-speak and, and the like son of man, that kind of thing. Regardless, what is true and what the point is, as great as the priesthood of Levite was, Levi, was Levi was inferior to Melchizedek and Jesus' priesthood is of the order of Melchizedek, not of Levi. Everybody clear on that? That's the point. I hope I didn't uh, confuse you too much with the uh, the argumentation. Right, let me catch up on a couple of your comments here and then we'll call it a day. Uh, Raleigh says, interesting, I'm studying the institution of the Melchizedekian priesthood, priesthood which offers bread and wine, in the Gospels, and Peter says he won't have the Lord wash his feet. Christ says, "If you don't, you have no portion in me." The portion calls back to the portion which was the Lord rather than land reserved for political priesthoods. What uh, I'm not sure where you're going at this. Uh, okay, well I appreciate that. Thanks for the kind words. Sorry for the long message. He says, uh, Rob says. Directly, not indirectly, maybe. Or not directly, but indirectly, maybe. Yeah, maybe. And it's hard. And again, this is not worth fighting over, but it is interesting. Got to make sure we get the right point. Jesus is of Melchizedek, which is superior to Levite. All right, I'm going to call it a day there. We'll come back and uh, be less confusing tomorrow and continue on to see what he says about the law and its relationship to the priesthood and how that whole law and priesthood has now ended. Come back for that tomorrow. See you then. Take care.